my award includes um, the Davis edition, um, part of Founders Grove, and there's it, it, it is vital um, to invest in that kind of um, historic regeneration and development. Part BN. Elections edition. Here we go from the Play Normal Esports Studios. This is election edition of Pod BN. My name is Justin. And I am Tyson. And we are here with Ward 4 for the City of Bloomington uh, City Council, Julie Emig. And a quick disclaimer before we start, as I mentioned on Chip Frank's podcast episode, Justin and I are volunteering in some capacity on our campaign, so we're obviously big fans, but we think we can still have a a good conversation without uh, being biased in any big way. And before we say hi to Julie, we want to make sure we thank our sponsor, Little Beaver Brewery. They're located by the Big Gold's Gym, uh, South Veterans Parkway, behind Steak and Shake there. When you get a little thirsty, they have a wide selection of brews uh, to offer you locally brewed here in Bloomington, so be sure to check them out. All right, so Julie, thanks for coming here today. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah. So before we start talking about government and councilship and stuff like that, let's have a chance just to get to know you as a person. Mm-hmm. So um, how long you been in Bloomington? Uh, where'd you grow up? And uh, what kind of things are you involved in in the community now? Yeah, so um, I've been in Bloomington for about 10 years. I moved here from the East Coast, but I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So coming back here has really been like coming home. And when I um, had an opportunity to move back, to the Midwest and make a home here in, in uh, central Illinois, I immediately started getting involved in getting to know the community. Some of that's because I have um, now, she would want me to say, because she just turned four, a four-year-old daughter. Um, we just celebrated her birthday. And um, I really began to pay attention to what was happening around me locally. Um, so I, I got involved with the Sunrise Rotary Club, our Rotary Club. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I'm so invested in um, working with young people, my past profession has been as a high school English teacher and teacher of teachers. Um, I, I really wanted to um, do the youth exchange side of Rotary, so mm-hmm. I got connected to the, um, the international students who have an opportunity to spend a year here with our, our community and our families and also um, in working to send students abroad who come from Bloomington Normal. And that's a life-changing experience. So I, I really see the value of um, having that kind of community interaction, and not only to enrich what we do here, but to sort of learn about the world beyond Bloomington Normal and how we can, we can be enriched by that. So you, did you finish high school in Tulsa then? I did. Okay. I'm a proud graduate of Booker T. Washington High School in <laughs> Tulsa, right. Oklahoma. And then uh, why did you <laughs> choose to go to college on the East Coast? Is that, uh, my, well, that, I, was I, that Boston? I, yeah. Well, okay. I started in, um, in Ohio. Okay. <laughs> and my dad grew up in Ohio. Okay. So um, he's like, got to go to college in Ohio, daughter. And I said, okay, sounds good to me. And then I went on to um, graduate school in Boston and New York. And um, I was able to, to get a master's in teaching and teach high school. And then from there, um, really got interested in creating more opportunities for my students in school. A lot of them had great challenges with language and uh, access. So I went back to grad school. I kind of, kind of a geek. I always am learning. And got um, a degree in literacy education. So I began to teach teachers and develop policies in public schools all over the country to make our students um, have 
access and to excel. That's interesting. So what kind of policies? Um, like, yeah. give some examples. That's interesting to me. Um, so policy, I, I realized that um, a lot of opportunities were not crystallizing for my students because there wasn't a structure in place. And to okay. me, a policy is like a, it's like a structure. It's like a scaffold, if you will, that makes other things possible. Um, and I developed policy for the Chicago Public Schools, it was going back and forth between Bloomington Normal and Chicago, um, in literacy education, and was one of the chief authors of the literacy framework that the Chicago Public Schools currently uses. Okay. And then later developed a literacy framework for the Evanston-Skokie Public Schools um, as their, their director of literacy. So that kind of policy, where mm -hmm. you have to develop... Um, a framework that people can use as a guide and that gives them opportunity to to go forward um, more with more sort of connected supports is sure. the kind of policy development that I've really focused on. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So that's working with like school boards or Yes. Okay. Yes, because every every like in, in Evanston Skokie, for example, that's district sixty five, we presented the policy before the school board mm -hmm. and they had to vote on what we created. I also had to get investment and buy in from from teachers and principals and um, my my colleagues in central office, if you will and um, spent a lot of time in conversation, would create drafts of the policy, bring it back to them, get more feedback, and develop something that everyone had buy-in before it actually got voted on so that we were able to pass it. Yeah. So you spent some time as a teacher then, and then how much time did you spend like directly teaching and then move mm -hmm. before you moved to administration. Right. So I taught, it's kind of the, the textbook response. I taught for five years in, mm -hmm. in Boston. And then um, as a literacy coach, it's an instructional position. Like you're, you, you have a teacher credential. Yeah. But my job was to work in schools uh, with, with principals and teachers and um, lead leadership teams to improve instruction. And that was everything from one-on-one -on -one coaching in classrooms to demonstration teaching to running workshops, um, providing professional development, um, coaching principals and how they can better support their faculty and their students. Yeah. Okay, so you've always been working with the teachers and the administrations in, in what you're doing. You haven't been a classroom teacher. I was a high school classroom teacher a high school classroom for five teacher. years. Oh, okay. I got yeah. you. I got yeah. you. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, my mother was um, an English teacher for most of her career, and then in the last little bit switched into uh, administration of the uh, setting policy for the ESL programs for our school system. So oh, okay. She, sure. after spending 25 years teaching elementary school kids and then uh, switching abruptly into trying to do the kind of work you described, it's a it's a pretty different way to kind of feel like job satisfaction, I guess. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to see the individual people you're helping versus setting these broader goals, um, mm -hmm. did you find one type of work more or less rewarding personally? They were rewarding in different ways. Um, I mean, I still... I still have um, some connection with my students, thanks to the virtual world of Facebook, yeah. <laughs> my former high school students. 
Um, I, re- I remember the sort of amazement when, when one actually took me out for a drink because he's, <laughs> he's much older now. Yeah. And um, kind of, you know, to say thank you. By the way, I was, was kind of a jerk in your class, but I want you to know now I really appreciate what you did for me. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's always the, kid, the kids who appreciate the most are the ones who Challenges give you the hardest the time most, yeah. and that you mm-hmm. yeah. kids sort of want. I can structure and boundaries. I can speak firsthand on that. Yeah, <laughs> I, have, right, I, have, right. I have teachers that I certainly appreciate, and I was no easy student for sure. So. Right, right. Yeah. But but the the flip side of that is um, my honestly, you know, my my real love is working with teachers because they're the on the front line for all of those students. Yeah. So I can kind of reach more children and young people yeah. if by supporting their teachers. That makes sense. And there have been many moments I've I've felt honored by by um, young teachers I've taught who are now teaching in schools all over and um, making connections for them so that that they they felt valued as professionals and but also became better practitioners. Like they actually could see something in their classrooms and tweak it enough that it made the experience not only more palatable for the students, but more authentic and ultimately challenging in a way that allowed the students to excel. And that's been incredible to have that opportunity. And you've still found a way to have a direct impact on students through volunteer work with like Sunrise Rotary with the international program. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk about that. How long have you been doing that? How many students have you helped go one way or the other? (laughs) One way or the other. Um, Well, I've been a youth exchange officer for just over two years. Mm -hmm. So um, when I started, when I joined the club, we already had a student here from India who, and that was when I did all of the training. And because it's it's a big deal to sort of yeah. be the person in charge of the the life of a, of a student, <laughs> you know. And um, the training's pretty extensive. Like, the State Department requires a lot. And um, I had to just make sure I knew what all of it meant. Sure. And um, had a great mentor in the club who'd been doing it for years. And um, and so the second, the second year, um, we hosted a, a student... A very lively young man from Argentina, <laughs> and he—he's probably famous. I think more people know who he is than, you know, know who I am, and I'm running for city council. Um, but but he so he was the the student I followed the the first time through the entire year. Right. And now we have a young woman here from Thailand, and um, she's got a very different personality, but but what just, she's so enthralled still. She's so excited to be part of, of this culture. I'm kind of asking you them a question through you, I guess, but what, yeah. do, you, what, what do you see as um, the most shocking thing when they're here to them, or, or the biggest surprise mm. that they might have about our culture compared to back home? I don't know. I think I, there was a, a sort of a look of amazement in Jordan's eyes, the, yeah. the young man who was here, and uh, our current student, Sound, when they they first went with me down Veterans Parkway. <laughs> it's like this, like this is this is the U.S. Yeah, you know, um, and they, they like went, in what regard? Like how many stores um, or yeah, and I think 
Uh, you know, it just the the focus on on retail, but that everything you know they're looking for these older structures. Yeah. Mm. For, you know, they're looking for um, the, the New more, York cities and the Chicago right, kind of thing. more yeah. common spaces. So they all they always loved going to the big cities because right. in a way it felt it was still different, but it felt more like well, home. When they hear about America too, that's probably what they see, right? They see yeah, the New York yeah, City and the right. Chicago. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. My. my um, my parents' landlord in Belgium, he just could not understand that I didn't live in Chicago. Like, <laughs> like why? It, what, where else is it? Four years. Yeah. Like, he's like, you know, oh, Illinois, Chicago. I'm like, you know, it's like two hours away. Mm-hmm. You know, we're. <laughs> or as close to Chicago as you are to Paris. I tried to explain it. He just didn't get it. I, like, I, I had a, <laughs> a cousin in Tennessee when I was younger that we went to visit, and he didn't understand how I didn't go to every Chicago Bulls game. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, right. but you're in Illinois. I don't understand. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. 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 And, yes. So. Cool. So you said that um, – you said that Tulsa was similar in a lot of ways mm-hmm. to here. This mm-hmm. feels comfortable for you, Wilmington? Yes. Everybody on the East Coast told me I was too nice. Mm. People generally don't tell me that here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what kind of comparisons do you see between your experiences uh, in Boston and, and other places compared to Bloomington? Um, how do, in your opinion, how do things compare favorably and unfavorably? It's, you know, what... The greatest thing to me about Bloomington Normal and Bloomington, you know, is is um, my focus. But but I think of Bloomington Normal together, all, sure. always yep. in my mind. I walk a few blocks and I'm in Normal. Um, is that when there is um, an identified need in the community, and it's very clear, sort of how to what we can do to fulfill that need. So, for example, the Harmony Park project, that's the playground for for, um, access for all of our children, you know, and that kind of initiative, you can can wrap your arms around it and, and communicate with enough people and get support and really see it through. That was impossible to do, I felt. In, in some of these other places where I lived. And some of it is just size, but I think there's more going on here. Like, there, there is such pride in this community and what we're capable of, of achieving if we work together, you know, given the vision and given a real concrete way to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that has been amazing to me because I just, I didn't see much of that elsewhere. I, have, I agree. I, th- I think this community is very well connected to each other. Um, I mean, you—that's a great example with Harmony Park. The amount of money they raise in a short period of time is very impressive. Um, but I don't know. Like, there's, and we could talk about this maybe in the second half of the show because it's getting into some some programs. But there's mm-hmm. programs like Be an Advantage and things like that that I think are uh, well thought, uh, well intentioned. But I don't know how well they're working. But on some level. The buy local, the support local, I think is working pretty well here overall. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you talk to business owners um, and the business community, we very much think about that. We mm-hmm. very much think about, I want to do business with this person because they're here in my community. Um, I mean, as a business owner myself, I see it. I see people say, hey, you know, I'd rather I'd rather give you money than, <laughs> than some computer or, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think that is alive and well here. I think there is something, something here uh, in regards to that. So. Yeah, and I'd say it too as... Someone who works for State Farm, the you know big organization that uh, every year 
we I try to do. Um, there's a program called the Good Neighbor Grant where if you volunteer yes. for 40 hours, you can give $500 to someplace. We get a day off that we can use for community service. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year they've changed the Good Neighbor Grant where a team can volunteer for 40 hours collectively. Mm-hmm. So um, we found out about that, and within the first month, my department's already trying to figure out, like, what's our charitable initiative so we can go out and make things better. And it's, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, I lived in Indiana for a year, but otherwise this is the only place I've lived, so this mm-hmm. kind of just feels normal to me. But uh, it's not like that everywhere, huh, where you're all Mm-mm. looking out for each other. I, I also think Mm-mm. I also think that it's possible that we just hear about it more here because of our size too. I mean, right. those, Some of the size, those things, sure. those things could, could be happening in Boston, Chicago, LA, wherever. Right. And uh, I, but it's just so large, it's diluted yeah. a little bit. Yeah. 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 So you said you were involved in Rotary. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, sorry, what was the other organization that, or was it through Rotary that you were doing? It's the, through Rotary. Yeah. I was doing okay. Rotary Youth Exchange. Um, but it, we were just talking about what State Farm offers in terms of, of yeah. community service and support. And I, I literally just came from a BCAI board meeting. I'm a board member for BCAI, School of the Arts. And um, we were just talking about how a lot of the parents who have children who participate in the arts programming there are, are employees at State Farm, and they volunteer. Mm-hmm. And, and so how can we crystallize that so they're, they're able to contribute in a way yeah. through yeah. their work to this program? And, and that's that clicked for me. Um, yeah. So what's BCAI? For- breaking, breaking Chains Advancing Increase, oh, okay. School of yeah, the yeah, Arts. Yeah. Um, and it is it, it's been around for about seven years, okay. and so their their focus is on providing robust arts education to anyone, any youth in our community, ages seven up, yeah. who um, for whom may you know the arts is is a passion or a drive, and they want to have an opportunity to learn about it. Yeah, but also um, they they don't have to afford it. I mean, it's there are scholarships available and programming available no matter what socioeconomic background. Yeah, Angelique Rocky is really big in that. Right? She is she, the executive director, exec- and okay. it is her vision. We should add her to our potential guest list. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she would, she would love to come and talk talk about her. her <laughs> uh, well, it'd be, yeah, because it's, she lives and breathes it, and yes. she's very, very yeah. good at it. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Um, what else have you been involved in in the community? So I was on the strategic planning committee for the YMCA. Um, that was when they were kind of in the process of getting ready to make this big move. And um, that was incredible because I got, as part of that work, I interviewed um, local community um, leaders, and and we all you know, all of us on that on that committee brought back data that we learned from others um, to inform our strategic recommendations for what the YMCA could do. Can Can I talk about the YMCA for just a second? Yeah. So that was a big deal um, when when the YM, <laughs> when the YMCA was working through that. Yes, and, you know, it was what, a very big deal. And I would I'll, I'll say controversial too when they decided that they were going to kind of leave that side of town. Mm-hmm. Um, so walk through your involvement in that and how that decision process came up because those are the type of decisions that you're going to be making on city council. Right. Um, so right. so kind of walk us through that a little bit. Well, it. it and in that case, my role was advisory. Okay. Right? I wasn't on the board, right. so I wasn't making. Um, but the, um, well, you know, it. A lot of a lot of people I interviewed from the community expressed concern because of the move. Yeah. And but at the same time, I also learned that not everybody in the community recognized um, 
exactly even what the YMCA had to offer. Right. Like some of it was just misinformation. Sure. So one of the things I would take from that experience to city council is is um, thinking about how to inform people so that they understand sort of these yeah. issues as they're happening. Um, and on that committee, I, you know, I advocated for thinking very, very carefully about what the impact to our community, you know, this move would have. And um, ultimately, you know, <laughs> pretty, pretty adamant that, yeah. that they try to find a way to stay where they are. However, um, I also learned through just the information, the data, that um, in order for that program to continue, they were bursting at the seams. Right. Something had to change. And in order to provide the services that they do, um, they had to really think much bigger and, than just what that locale could, could offer. And I think anyone that questioned whether they could survive in there should just go there during a Saturday uh, when basketball is going on. Exactly. Because <laughs> uh, exactly. it, it truly is bursting. It, it is bursting. And no every room. year it gets, there's no room and the need is great. And, um, and so, and I, my, my neighbor actually used to be the athletics director there. Yeah. We spent a lot of time talking about this. So from her inside perspective, she said, look, we just, it just has to be someplace where everybody can get to, yeah. where everybody can go. And um, there was also a lot of evidence presented that Champaign-Urbana had gone through a similar process in right. moving their YMCA and that they had the same concerns, but in the end, it worked out. Yeah. But I think we have to be intentional about um, how those decisions affect everybody and find ways to make sure that the, that everyone still has access. And I think you hit on something um that I agree with and that's important and that's that a lot of times it's just making sure the public understands the full story it's transparent process mm-hmm. commu- communicating to the public yes. the thought process and the data um can make them understand things so much better. I mean, I, I've seen it happen in multiple situations um, on council, on planning commission, mm-hmm. and in different things, where a lot of times if you just sit down with someone and explain exactly what's happening, right. the thought process, right. uh, th- they understand why those decisions are being made. But often that um, angst or that um, discomfort is coming from just a lack of understanding. So Absolutely. Yeah. And so when I, I am a graduate of the Multicultural Leadership Program as well, and as part of that work, um, I was on the Community Service Project with the Bloomington Public Library. Yeah. And we were able to do, in a way, a similar process in that we did a door-to-door information campaign where right. we shared with residents what it is that the library offers and found, again, that a lot of people didn't realize that it was more than books. Yeah. <laughs> and and we're really genuinely surprised at that the library is not suffering from, from lack of use. No. If they have they, – they're – there are more patrons in, in the library now than there were um, just a decade ago, significantly more. So that that process of um, kind of telling the story, this is what the library offers, um, oh, just opened lots of opportunity, if you will, to think about, well, because <laughs> I anticipate you'll ask me this, why would you fund that kind of capital project and how yeah. might you go forward in this way? And the, I think if people know... <laughs> Right. Like what it is and how it's working in the whole community, the story behind it, as well as the, the, the data, then they'll be willing to, you know, pay a little bit for it. Right. My mom, just talking on the library real quick, my mom just recently, recently retired uh, the end of last year. 
and my wife, who is a frequent visitor of the library, uh, was talking to my mother about all the things that the library offers in Bloomington. And mm-hmm. um, I met with my mom yesterday, and I said, hey, what would you do this afternoon? She goes, well, I spent over two hours at the library. So <laughs> um, she, you have a new patron in my mom that, that's going to, mm-hmm. I think, go there quite often now. Yeah, I can't I can't get my parents to go there. My mother reads constantly, hmm. and she buys all of her books. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny because my father gets so mad at me if I buy a book. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Why don't you just go to the library, he says. That's what, um, (laughs) yeah, my wife is, uh, uh, she has her master's in library science and she's also on the library board. So I'm very inundated with library topics. (laughs) And, uh, but yeah, she, um, if there's something she can get through the library or in a library loan, like Mm -hmm. that's how she's doing it. She's in a book club and. That's, they, they make fun of her because every time they're like, we should read this book. And then she pulls out her phone. She's like, well, it's not the library, so I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do that. And they're like, you know, you can buy books. She's like, why would you buy books? Would you, There's exactly, thousands of books at the library. Exactly. Right, <laughs> My right. wife goes through the checklist. She'll see if the library has it. Can the library get it on loan? Can mm-hmm. it, yeah, she'll look at all those options before she purchases one yeah. for sure. Right, right. So. Yeah, my, my um, better half, my, my partner... Um, is a philosopher, so no. so you can imagine the conversations yeah. <laughs> yeah. that we have about um, all, all sorts of things. Yeah, but, yeah. The Multicultural Leadership Program, MCLP, is much easier to say. I'll stick with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the MCLP, a lot of people who are running now went through that program. Yeah. What do you think is inspiring so many people to to go on? Is that an emphasis of the program to yes. to step up? I'm sure that you've heard. Um, others talk about this, but Mm -hmm. the the concept of servant leadership is at the core of MCLP and strength in diversity so that you're really developing leaders um, who are responsive to their constituents, who lead from behind. It's like making making other people stronger is the the goal of leadership, not making you as the leader stronger. And the diversity piece is recognizing that we all have various background stories and strengths and that if we learn to work together and pull together and use those strengths that we can make significant change in our world and I think we all we all to some extent believe that which is why we're drawn to MCLP from the beginning but it really hones that that fire and in, in, in us and wanting to serve and provides very genuine um Opportunities to think about, so what are you going to do? Yeah. Now that you've experienced this program, how can you actually engage in work, in your life, what, no matter what it is you do, mm-hmm. where, where you are providing this kind of ser- servant leadership for others? What, what I found, and I, I went through to an MCLP um, information session, for lack yeah, of a better sure. word. I did that a couple of years ago. I didn't end up going through the program uh, just because of time restraints. But what I find fascinating is everybody I talk to that's gone through the program mm-hmm. is now volunteering within the program. Mm-hmm. So, which when you talk about servant leadership is exactly mm-hmm. that, right? It's, right, it's, right. So, I don't know. I, th- I think that's fascinating because I've seen other leadership programs where people will go through them. They'll mm-hmm. put it on their resume or their, you know, whatever, and saying I went on. through this, but then they move on. Um, but everybody I talk to that's been through MCLP finds a way to come back to that program and give back. So that tells me that they got a lot out of the program, obviously, but then they took it to heart and said, how can I help develop more people? Um, yes, so, right. And yeah. I, I led um, a session for them right. in, in cultural diversity yeah. because I've done so much of that in education. Right. And that was that. And when um, the director, Linda Bulliver, asked me to do it, I didn't think twice because, yeah. Yeah, of course, I'll do this. So, yeah. so. Uh, 
now you're running for council. Now I'm running for council. <laughs> so let's let's just talk about that real yes. quick um, mm-hmm. before we take a break. What where did that leap come in? You've obviously volunteered in a, a number of capacities over the last ten years since you've been in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, what what now has led you to say, okay, now I'm going to step up into the city council role? Um, I think I think most of it is because I I realized in part through MCLP, but also in a lot of the the policy work I've done in education, that the greatest impact is at the local level. And that that's whether it's the school or the council a governance structure in a, in a community like ours. And I saw this as an opportunity to be a true servant leader, to have to, to have the impact well, let me let me think, let me think. To um, to be able to lead from behind and to think of ways to um, Legislate and govern and create policy that really is responsive to the needs of my constituents, but also um, moves us all forward. Like, like we can all be better than what we imagine. Right. And and city council um, is a way to do that locally for for everybody who lives here. Okay. Before we get in the break, we like to do a lightning round. This is just where I'm going to say something. You say the first thing that pops into your head. It doesn't have to be a one-word answer, but try to keep it as short as possible. And then if we want to expand on any of these, we can after the break. So uh, we'll start off with Mayor Renner. Energetic, positive. TIF district. A potential tool for economic development, um, not the only option. Grossinger Arena. Um, we need to do something different. Eastland Mall. Hmm. Eastland Mall, um, a place where my child likes to run around, <laughs> but we also need to do something different. All right. Uh, we talked about this already, but library. Um, the core of our community. Downtown Bloomington. Um, opportunity. BCPA. Um, a lively... A lively place that is only getting stronger. And Brick Street. Beautiful and economically sound. All right. So that's the lightning round. We'll take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and be back with Julie Emig, candidate for Ward 4, City of Bloomington. We want to thank our sponsor, Play Normal Esports at 802 South Eldorado Road in Bloomington. You got kids coming up on spring break, and they're going to have a spring break bash. From March 25th through March 29th, from noon to 6 p.m., $20 will get you five hours of play at Play Normal Esports. Check out more information at PlayNormalEsports.com or visit them at 802 South Eldorado Road in Bloomington. All right, we're back with Julie Emag, Ward 4, City of Bloomington. Julie, looking over some of your uh, Facebook uh, campaign stuff, I see kind of three ideas, mm-hmm. uh, and they all start with strong, uh, but we'll, <laughs> we'll go with strong neighborhoods, strong infrastructure, and a strong economy or a diverse economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's touch on each one of those individually for a second. What does strong neighborhoods mean to you? Um, a strong neighborhood is, it, for me, very important because in the ward, um, I represent, there are a lot of our historic neighborhoods. Right. So I live in White's Place, and my ward includes um, the Davis edition, um, part of Founders Grove, and there's it, it is vital um, to invest in that kind of um, historic regeneration and development. And, and meeting now with um, neighborhood associations, it, it also 
increases property value. It increases kind of the economic strength of the community. And um, everybody loves coming to visit these places. So it attracts tourism. It attracts um, sort of vibrancy around that community. And uh, and it it seems to me that that investing in in that kind of ongoing support for the spaces in which we live um, is critically important. I think we talked brick streets on the lightning round, mm-hmm. and I remember that whole brick street debate and talking about talking through that. Yeah. And it's always a difficult one because when you're not when you're not sitting on a huge surplus of funds as, mm-hmm. as a municipality, and you have a brick street that needs repaired. And it's so much less expensive to pave over. Right. But I think, uh, to your point, Julian, tell me if I'm putting words in your mouth, that that more people, you, you talked about increasing property values, people will pay more to live on a brick street. People mm-hmm. will pay more to live in a historic area. And we really only got one opportunity to preserve those areas. We can't make the, the quick decision and the cheap decision to um, not preserve that and then go back 10 years later and say, no, no, we want to be historic again. Right. So so touch on that. Like, how important is it to, to spend money to restore a brick street or to, um, you know, make sure we maybe have some grant money available for, to restore older buildings and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff? What does that do nuts and bolts-wise for the city? Like, mm-hmm. why, why is it an investment and not just wasteful spending? Right. And I've thought a lot about this because it's important to many of my constituents. And, and I also um, looked at the Brick, street, Brick Streets plan, right. master plan that was put together. And that is a very, very thorough piece of work that really highlights um, the investment in this kind of of transformation of our infrastructure, not even transformation, but just let's keep it vital. It's right. like make it make it continue to work for our community. Um, they brick streets actually do pretty well over time. Yeah. They tend to last a lot longer um, with the uh, dramatic weather changes we've been having. Um, the it's the potholes are even more problematic than ever before. And as I've been canvassing along some of these brick streets, I've noticed that um, there there aren't they don't any get the potholes. potholes. Yeah. Um, so so not only is it not only is it uh, really just good workmanship that lasts, but it also does add an aesthetic quality to the community that turns out to translate into a financial investment. And I think the plan lays out very incrementally how you can do this, like which streets need the sort of the most immediate support, Mm -hmm. um, where we can start very slowly to develop those spaces and make them... um, begin to change uh, some of the structures that really do need to be patched in a way that maintains the brick streets. Brick street? Sorry. Brick streets tends to be one of the examples that people gravitate towards when they're thinking about ward-specific initiatives Mm because if there are probably some brick streets outside of Ward 4, but they're predominantly Mm -hmm. there. Ward 4, Ward 6, maybe Ward 7. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely not. Um, you know the ones out, nines. yeah, or uh, or eight even. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so how how do you think that that kind of thing can be championed on the council in a way that people understand the benefit to the whole city and not make it seem like you're just looking out for your specific voting block? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that 
that in our community everyone gravitates towards these old structures. I mean, it's it's no accident that everybody on White Place has to buy hundreds of um, bowls of candy at Halloween because <laughs> the entire community comes to trick or treat there. And I, and and some of it is is just that it's a it's a fun street to walk on, but it also um, there's a whole aesthetic appeal to that, and I think people like that. That's really interesting to me that that you that you made that connection of people coming there to trick-or-treat because it's a fun street to walk on. Uh, <laughs> both Tyson and I have talked many times on podcast about walkability, and, and I think White's Place definitely has it. So yeah, that's, a, yeah. that's a good point. So um, there's also the tourism, like you mentioned, around yes. the David Davis Mansion and around right. those neighborhoods about how right. there's such a rich history there of bringing people to the to the city. Um, it's, it's worth it to invest... Um, so my parents live right by David Davis Mansion, so I'm very familiar. Like, if you're at Greentop and you're driving up David at, mm-hmm. right north on Davis Avenue, there's a massive, like, indentation in the bricks right there. Yeah. And what a different impression it would make if that path that were tourists... restored, right? Were, were restored. Yeah. So it's... Yeah. Um, as you're thinking history, as you're engaged in historical tourism, mm-hmm. you're not distracted suddenly by your head hitting the top of your car. Uh, <laughs> you know... Right. Um, yeah, it, it benefits all of us, in my opinion. Right, and and I think at the same time we can't we, we have to look at the big picture, and and we do need a lot of investment in infrastructure citywide. There's yeah. no question. So I I don't think it's an either or. Okay. I think there's a way to go forward, um, in both domains. What you know, restoring brick streets as well as as being champions of the renovations that really need to start happening for infrastructure. So streets are just one part of infrastructure. and Sewers? Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, in historic neighborhoods, sewers are probably more important to a lot of people, Mm -hmm. uh, even though they're not as sexy as a a brick street. uh, It's still still definitely important. So how, how do we address the issue of the shared sewer, storm drain in some of these historic neighborhoods without... Because, I mean, you you can't fix a sewer a lot of times without tearing up some streets, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, what what is that? I mean, that's even more of a significant investment because especially if you're tearing up brick streets, you got to relay the brick Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, and that kind of thing. So why... When, when someone's living on uh, off of the Tawana Barnes Road um, Mm -hmm. and they're looking at, you know... Uh, let's let's just throw a uh, fire station out there uh, because that's that's a need. I think I think everybody would agree that the East Side Fire Station, Northeast Side Fire Station, mm-hmm. is a need. Mm-hmm. Um, where does that fit in with someone getting a new sewer, a new street in Ward Four? How do you balance that? How, or, or or more importantly, I, I don't know if one's more important than the other, but how do you work with other council members to share that responsibility? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, I and I. I use the entire city of Bloomington Normal, too. So, I, I, yeah, I I mean, of course these things are important for for all of us to um, think about how we we invest in. I I guess you balance it by... by focusing on what what is the greater good. So in the same way that thinking about investing in, say, the historic community and looking at those very ancient sewer lines, much of which, from my understanding, um, from Jim Karch, the director of public works, hasn't even been fully assessed yet. Yeah, there's sometimes they don't even know where the sewer line right, is. Right, yeah. right, and and but you know at the same time there there there's new technology and opportunity to to find that out so that you make strategic decisions based on that data, based mm-hmm. on that information, and that you recognize that the older parts of town 
the sewers there might need some more renovation yeah. than the newer parts of our community, and therefore there might be um, an opportunity to think about how that gets funded. I but, think, uh, sorry to interrupt, I think yeah. we talked to Karen Schmidt about that, how uh, Alderman for Ward 6 sure. is right now the policy of the city is to spend an equal amount of money on streets and mm-hmm. sewers in each ward. Um What's your thoughts on that? I think I think it should be it should be need based. Yeah. I think it should be based on evidence from those who work in that domain and can say with expertise, hey, you know, this this is where we really need to to work on renovating and saving the infrastructure because it it has the greatest need. Yeah. So I, I think it makes more sense for how is to that, go where the need is. How is that going to get done, though? Because I think that would be mm-hmm. such a difficult challenge. Yeah. Because even if you have a, a open open enough council where they can say, hey, uh, Director of Public Works, we trust you. Show us the data where mm-hmm. this ward needs it more than this ward. But then another election cycle happens or, or something changes. Mm-hmm. Then you have this this alderman that says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why, why is Ward 4 and Ward 6 getting all this money? Ward 8 and 9 need some of this money, too. I mean, how do you create policy or, mm-hmm. or to to right. be able to change that uh, in a way that is fair? Mm-hmm. But as Tyson, I think I think it was your line, right? Fair doesn't always mean equal. Yeah. So, right, so, right. Yep. And um, education, we know that very well. <laughs> it doesn't work if it's all the same. Yeah. So I... I would approach it the way I have with all of the sort of the policy work I've done, as well as trying to get, say, a group of faculty to implement a new approach to teaching yeah. that you you really focus on um, communicating what it is about your initiative that makes sense for everyone. And listen, genuinely listen to, well, here's my concern. If you, if you spend X money on this, then what are we going to do over here? Well... I don't think it again. I don't think it has to be either or. It seems to me that we can agree that there are things are good, that are going to be good for all of us. Um, that may not me, that may, may mean that I don't sort of get everything that I envision happening in Ward Four to preserve those historic areas. But there's something we can do yeah. to move towards preservation that's good for everybody. And there's something we can do to build that fire station that is incredibly important in other parts of our community. I, I think that, that we, we, we need to agree why we're doing it overall and then figure out the best way to balance the resources we have. Isn't so much of that just the dynamic on the council, though? I mean, being able to look at, uh, you know, two to three of your other um, colleagues on council and say, let's go have coffee and and be friendly. (laughs) I think that's what's been missing on Bloomington. I think it's been better as of late, but uh, certainly for a number of years, it seemed like um, outside of the hour and a half to two hours they spent together every other Monday, they weren't, (laughs) they they didn't talk much to each other. Yeah, Uh, I, I think that those conversations are one of the most important things we can do. Yeah. And when I worked to recruit science teachers on a, an, a literacy grant that I ran out of UIC, nobody in at the school was able to recruit very many teachers because they the faculty well the researchers and the faculty did not go to the teachers where they live, where they work, what their issues were, what their concerns were, and I. And I was I was hired to be the bridge. Right. So I went to the schools. I drove all over the greater Chicago area and recruited, you know, up to 75, 80 teachers. And 
they they how they said how did you do that? I'm like, well, I talk to people. Yeah. I mean, you you have coffee. You you um, I would do um, hall duty with them during their breaks. We would do hall duty together, do lunch duty together. I mean, there are ways that you and I don't mean to say that, yeah. <laughs> that I would be doing hall duty with my fellow <laughs> aldermen. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be kind of interesting. Um, but but you you just find opportunities to have conversations and and sh- genuinely listen to what what other other views are and what is needed um, so you can you can come to some shared understanding even if you don't agree you understand where somebody else is coming from yeah that's so important and I'm glad to hear you say that and also so many of the other council candidates saying that that they're coming in with that spirit because mm-hmm. if you just look at one particular issue and you say you know brick streets well that's just a handful of words and mm-hmm. I'm the word ex alderman and I don't care about that there's going to be things that that um, I mean, let's just say it's let's say it's Ward Nine. So, you know, they're like, well, I don't care about brick streets, but they have more of a concern about fire response times. Mm-hmm. Um, Ward Four is not as concerned with fire response times. Fire can get there just fine. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you go issue by issue, there's going to be places in the city that are more in need of certain services and less in need in certain ones. And so, uh, if you have a longer term relationship with each other. I think you can see that. Mm-hmm. You can see that, like, giving a little bit now, you have trust that you'll receive a bit more back later. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I am hopeful that in April um, that we'll see, you know, we'll see more of that. Um, hopefully people will live by the what they're saying in like their, their campaign in, promises. In their campaign promises. Sure. If there's one that I'm hoping people will keep, I think it's that one. Mm-hmm. It definitely would have a big impact. So well, your, your last, Julie, your last uh, bullet point on, on kind of your platform is a strong or diverse economy. Yes. Uh, can you expand on that for me? What, what, what can you bring to council that's going to make the economy stronger or more diverse in Bloomington? That question um, goes back to what we talked about earlier and, and really thinking about investing in local Business, um, I think that there are many opportunities in our community for more more business to thrive. We have a lot of very successful small businesses. We can have many more, um, but they need to know how to do that. They need support. And so the, I'm a big fan of the Small Business Development Center at Wesleyan because they provide so much support, and I, I understand from them that they're, they can't meet the need. They can't keep up with the requests that they're getting yeah. for, for that kind of innovation and support. Um, I, so I think diversifying our base, um, as I've been knocking on doors and talking to people in the ward, um, and infrastructure always comes up almost first, but, but in terms of the, the economy, um, folks are, are anxious because State Farm has changed right. recently and they're worried about viability going forward. Um, I, that, that makes me think all the more that we need to focus on how to diversify. Yeah. Um, the, there's a lot of debate about ways to do that too, that some say TIF, <laughs> some say maybe not TIF. Um, there are opportunities through government 
to um, apply for grants, to apply for sort of block status for districts, if you will, in an ovation district. Yeah. Or um, I know that that Jamie Matthews been working on the cultural district mm-hmm. piece, and I think you've been involved in that mm-hmm. too, Justin. But I, I, um, but that kind of initiative, it seems to me, can go a long way towards generating more revenue for this community. We just have to be very strategic about reaching beyond um, what sort of the status quo and what's always been done before. I also think the income disparity is a real problem in our community, as identified in the governing report. Right. And the affordable housing is an issue. Um, it's hard to have a strong economy if you have people who can't find a place to live. <laughs> and, yeah. and you have a, a, a significant portion of our population um, that clearly they're challenged to make ends meet. Yeah. So how do how do we um, how do we make how do we make things easier for them? And I understand that that mixed structures, thinking about mixed income structures, is one approach. Um, I know that the Bloomington Housing Authority is trying to work on an initiative um, in which they would be part owners of a, a residence. Um, as well as a nonprofit agency, and could really come together to um, to create high high quality, solid housing right. for for a lot of our constituents across the board, not just in Ward Four, and people who um, working families who have children, our veterans. I mean, they all need they all need safe, good places to live, and that that would strengthen our economy. So what would be your number one priority um, if you did win the election on April 2nd, um, you get on council, what's the one thing you can bring and hopefully show when you start, if you decide to run for re-election four years <laughs> later, that you can look back on and say, this this is something I told you I would do and I was able to do it. Mm-hmm. If you could only have one of those. Only, vic- oh, that's oh, so mean. Only one of those victories. <laughs> I don't want to have what just one like victory. To? I hope you have many more. I'm but not, I'm just, I, I know, but I, I hear you. I, you know, I would say that latter piece just because I've become so much more aware yeah. of, of the income disparity and that we have we have people in poverty we have children in poverty in our community yeah. we need to do something about that and I, I myself alone can't do something right. about it but I can I can be a servant leader I can generate opportunity I can I can collaborate and that's the other thing we can only do it if we know how to collaborate well sure. I know how to do that <laughs> so I need help um, in working with others to to think about how we can raise the quality of life for the entire community. And and then the other pieces are part of serving that goal, right? The sure. strong neighborhoods, diverse economy. Of course, we need a strong infrastructure, but it's about raising the quality of life for everybody. So uh, part of a strong neighborhood, we've you know, talked about definitely the residents feeling comfortable in the neighborhood. Um, we also want people who visit here to feel comfortable or people who are new to town. You know, I, I didn't want to specifically just ask about the welcoming ordinance because mm-hmm. I think that's one part of a larger conversation yes. and a larger, <laughs> I sound like Karen Schmidt now, but she made, <laughs> she made a compelling case. Yes. That, that is one part and it's important to talk about, but there's a broader context of how do we make sure that when people come in that they um, they have the support that they need to be successful here. Mm-hmm. And since you've known people who've gone through that experience, like, yeah. what, what do you think the role of the right. city is there? And the vast majority of my, of my high school school students back in the day when I taught in the classroom were from other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think a, something like a welcoming ordinance is is um, 
necessary but ultimately insufficient. So as you said, um, Alderman Schmidt was talking about the, the greater conversation. I do think passing something like that does do a lot, even in its symbolic import. That's powerful. You know, I'm a literacy specialist, so I think about words and, and symbols and how people perceive um, the way that others think of them through language. So I would say that, that we do need, we, doing something like that is, is a positive thing, but it can't be the only thing. Yeah. It's a beginning. And there are, there are many organizations in our community that are committed to supporting families. In whether they are there are families who, who are trying to make sense of American culture, or whether they are families um, who are just struggling to survive, we have community resources. So how can we work together to do more collectively? Um, I I love attending the Immigrant Projects annual fundraiser and luncheon, and they um, they work very closely with the immigrant population here and really hew to policy and legislation that that makes sense, mm-hmm. but also supporting families who come here. And they, we, we have the resources. I think they just need to be mobilized and there needs to be greater <sighs> communication. Julia, we're coming up on the end of the ta- end of time, so I want to make sure we give you the opportunity to let people know where they can learn more about you. Um, do you have a Facebook page or website that you could direct people to? Mm-hmm. I do. I have a Facebook page, um, Julie Emig for Ward Four, and I encourage anybody to go there to find out more information about me. Um, I am passionate about helping other people make positive change in their lives, and I'm. I'm sure that if I have an opportunity to serve on city council, I, I can build the sorts of relationships and get things going in such a way that we will see genuine action. It might be small, but it will be meaningful. All right. Well, we definitely appreciate you coming on. I know uh, campaigns are are very busy, and (laughs) we appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us. Early voting has started, so you you can go vote in in the municipal races right now at the government center. Uh, But the election is on April 2nd, and that's for both Bloomington and normal and school boards. So thank you so much, Julie. We appreciate it. Thank you. Well, with that conversation, we are done with PodBN Election Edition. How are you feeling about that, Justin? I'm ready for a nap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we said that this in the behind-the-scenes episode, but we thought out of the 12 candidates, or 13? I can't even remember anymore. Yeah. We thought we were going to get, like, at most six or seven. Who would want to come to talk to these two guys um, on a podcast? But so happy that all of the candidates decided to come and talk, chat with us. It was great to meet all of them, to see the similarities and their differences. What stands out to you about the experience, Justin? Actually, it's just what you said. I think that what stands out to me is how there are more similarities than differences. Um, you know, you got the people, a lot of candidates coming in both communities, Bloomington and Normal, and, and they all, of course, are doing so to make their community a better place. But when you talk nuts and bolts with them on what they want, they talk infrastructure, they talk about a safe community. Um, you know, they might have slightly different visions to get there, but it, they're all pretty similar um, with some stark differences, and that's why we vote. We want to make 
make sure that those differences are highlighted um, so that you can get who you need to in council to make this community the place that you see it, right? Yeah. The incentives of podcasts and traditional media are quite different. Um, our overhead's so low that we can go longer, we can go deeper, we can go off on tangents. <laughs> and uh, we also don't really have anything to gain by being in conflict with people at all. Uh, yeah. We're not trying to have clickbait headlines. Um, so, you know, the the fact that we can highlight the similarities, the civility, the um, just the sense of camaraderie that is present with these candidates and the passion that they have for their community. Uh, it's, I have, I'm just really proud of what we were able to accomplish here. Yeah. And, and the willingness for all the candidates to come on, I, I think says a lot about them as well. I mean, we're just two yahoos that invited people on a podcast. that has been around all of two months <laughs> and, or, you know, a few months and they're willing to come on and talk to us for an hour, knowing that we're going to put it out in a, uh, in a recording. So I yep. uh, definitely want to thank each and every one of those candidates that decided yep. that we were worth their time. And we want to thank our sponsors to play normal esports, uh, normal gadgets and little beaver brewery. Uh, we would not be able to have this sound nearly as good or do it at all if it wasn't for them. Um, Play Normal Esports being very gracious with allowing us to have this space so we don't have to do it in a closet or it, in a room that echoes all over the place. Especially giving us a space as often as we needed to get through this election edition. I mean, when we originally uh, talked to them about a space, they told us, yeah, we're, we're going to do this like you know twice a month. And then like a month in, we said, oh, we're going to do this every week because we got to get to these candidates. So they've been very good. So yeah. make sure to patronize them. PlayNormalEsports.com or Normal Gadgets. Uh, they've been awesome to us. Yeah, and I'll mention, too, something we haven't said before about them uh, with with regards to the graciousness they have. The staff is very generous. They're very helpful. Um, whenever I've had any kind of issue with trying to get things set up or um, trying to move some of their equipment around, they're awesome. And I have no doubt that if you come in here and are trying to just get into some video gaming, uh, that they would be very helpful and gracious to you as well. Yeah, they're a shining example of customer service for sure. Yep. Also, make sure you check out our other sponsor, Little Beaver Brewery. Um, I mean, after this election edition, that's where I'm heading (laughs) Um, because it's a great place to unwind, relax. Um, They have a wide selection of different types of beers that are made and brewed locally, and they started serving food. It's a cool atmosphere. They have board games. They have all kinds of stuff happening there. And it's kind of off the beaten path, which is kind of nice. You know, it makes you feel like you know something that nobody else does. So Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to get back to just our normal cadence of uh, twice a month here. We've got a lot of people who we have invitations out to to try to come on and talk to us, a variety of different backgrounds and interests, and we'll just keep trying to bring you the same types of uh, conversations and ideas that we have been bringing. Yeah. Uh, interesting people all around McLean County. So. I appreciate everybody that's sending us messages uh, with suggestions of guests. Please keep those coming. I promise uh, we'll reach out to them. And if there's only one thing I want you to take away from PodBN is that there is a municipal election on April 2nd, and uh, your vote matters. Early voting is open now. If you don't think you can remember on that day, go ahead and go vote now. And uh, just make your voice heard and participate in these elections. The turnout is always so low in municipal elections. And if we can do a little bit to increase that turnout, that would just be an awesome result. Yeah, and local elections matter. The, the, the government that's closest to you has the biggest impact on your life. Yeah. So go vote. All right. Are we, uh, are we done? Yeah, let's be done.
with that conversation, with that conversation, with that conversation, with that conversation. With that, conversation. Oh, that was a good conversation. 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 That was a good conversation.